Knowing your place is critical in life and ministry. Here's Pastor Dave to explain. You need to make sure that everybody is in their place. Everyone knows where they belong, what their calling is, what their job is, and everyone will, will do better if each of us knows, here's my role, here's my responsibility, here's my calling. It's devastating for people who, in your life, you go, I don't even know who I am and, and what I'm supposed to do. Or... I'm trying to be something that I'm not because somebody pushed me into it or because there was some, you know, I had some obsession with it or, or I had the opportunity. Um, things only work when everyone kind of knows what their place is and they all do what it is that they're called to do. Wake up my soul. Wake up early in the day. Wake up my hand. And the instrument I play. Wake up my voice. Let the world hear me say, you are worshipped and it's all to hear today. Have you found your niche or place in life? And are you living that out? Consider that with us right now on The Balanced Word. Pastor Dave Rolf visits 2 Samuel chapter 20, where we find a bunch of people doing what they were called to do. Allow that to encourage you to find your God-given calling, embrace it, and remain in it. Here's Pastor Dave with part one of Knowing Your Place. Good to see you today as we continue our study through 2 Samuel. I've really enjoyed this time through 2 Samuel. David is one of the most fascinating people in history for sure. And so 2 Samuel goes into details about his years as king. And we've been following along and it's really uh, some fascinating stuff. But some of it's difficult as well. 2 Samuel 20, David has just endured a civil war. He had, you know, his own son try to overthrow the kingdom, come after him, wanting to kill him. But finally, his son was killed. He was grieved, but he maintained the throne, and he's heading back to Jerusalem to settle in, but he's really kind of exhausted too, you know? He's been through a lot. So after enduring one civil war, though, the country's in kind of bad shape. You know, there are 12 tribes of Israel, and the 10 northern tribes always kind of feel left out. And so now, at this point, they're wondering, well, where do we fit in? It's easy for David from the tribe of Judah. Judah's the big tribe. But they were like, after a civil war, quite often, in fact, in our country, let's face it, the South never did quite get over the civil war to a degree. You're like, you're still looking down on the people from the north, people in the north still looking it down on the people in the South. That's kind of the tragedy of civil war, is that when the war is over, there's still a division that happens, and that was certainly the case in Israel, for sure. And so, but now another guy comes along who, you just got rid of one guy who was trying to take over, and he was doing it for, for personal reasons. That was Absalom. But now another guy comes along to take advantage of the situation, and he wants to take over the whole 10 northern tribes, he wants to be king, and he's not doing it for personal reasons. He's just doing it for political reasons. He just has this ambition that he wants to be somebody, and so he anoints himself to say, okay, now I'm in charge in the north. And that brings us to chapter 20, and I have to warn you, okay, that you know history is ugly if it's, if it's true. If you clean up history, it's misleading. But if you really look at history, there's a lot of weird 
ugly things that go on in history. And there's some kind of disgusting or gross things, so I'm just warning you in advance. I'm not going to show any pictures or anything, but it's the Bible. The Holy Spirit wrote it, not me. So I'm just warning you, if you're some sensitive person who might get triggered by some of this, oh, well, take it up with God, or you can leave now. I'm just warning you. So chapter 20, there happened to be a rebel whose name was Sheba, the son of Bichri, a Benjamite. And he blew a trumpet and said, we have no share in David, nor do we have inheritance in the son of Jesse. Every man to his tents, O Israel. So every man of Israel, that is the 10 northern tribes, deserted David and followed Sheba, the son of Bichri. But the men of Judah from the Jordan, as far as Jerusalem, remained loyal to their king. Now, it's kind of weird. This guy is from, you know, the tribe of Benjamin, which would normally be aligned with David. But he saw an opportunity to gather the people up in the north who were disgruntled. And, you know, it's easy to, main, to take power if you try to find everybody who's upset and get them on your side. It's a lot harder to actually pull it off. But this is what Sheba's trying to do. Again, nobody anointed him. He just took it upon himself. So David came to his house in Jerusalem. And the king, this is kind of ugly, but he took the 10 women, his concubines, whom he had left to keep the house, and put them in seclusion and supported them, but did not go into them. So they were shut up to the day of their death, living in widowhood. So he gets back to Jerusalem, and there were these 10 concubines that he had left to take care of the house. But if you remember the story, his son Absalom had gone in and, and defiled them in public. So David comes back like, how do you deal with this? And what he did seems sort of cruel. It's like they didn't choose this. Now all of a sudden, they are put on the side in retirement. They're not going to have relations with anybody ever again. But remember, in those days, for one thing, the Jewish law would forbid David from going into them again. See, once, of course, the law forbid what Absalom did, but the law would also forbid David ever again taking them back. So in essence, though, what he did was pretty kind. He could have just kicked them out. That would be normally what you would do. And nobody would have taken them in, and they would have died in disgrace. Instead, he put them on a retirement program. He gave them a place to stay. He would take care of them. It's just that he wouldn't have physical relations with them. A lot of women would snap up that kind of a deal. But at any rate, it's just that's what they did. And then the king said to Amasa, Assemble the men of Judah for me within three days and be present here yourself. So David knew. Sheba's doing a rebellion. We need to get our armies together and we need to go and take them out. Now, why did he call Amasa and not Joab? If you remember in the previous chapter, I mean, Joab has been his guy for, you know, basically their entire adult lives. And Joab was a crusty dude, but a good soldier. Now, after this whole thing with, with Absalom, the, you know, the problem is, like, David's trying to unify Israel. So in the previous chapter, one of the things he did is he took Absalom's general, Amasa, who got hired by Absalom partly because he was like a distant relative of Joab's. So it's kind of like he hadn't done anything himself, but he was related to somebody. And so, you know, how that goes. Well, David ends up saying, I'm going to make Amasa the main general now. When you think about it, that was really a dumb thing to do. Because, I mean, 
he had had one war that he fought, and they got crushed, and his king got hung and stabbed. So why would you put him in charge? Because David was trying to be political. He was hoping that, and it actually kind of worked in the previous chapter. Once he puts Amasa in charge of the armies, a lot of these people who kind of didn't like Joab, people in the north who were scared of Joab, they're like, oh, good. And so they kind of gathered together. But the northerners were so flaky that as soon as you have another guy, Sheba, saying, okay, I'm going to be the king of the north, then they go with him anyway. So the point of having Amasa become general was really a bad idea all around. But he tells Amasa, okay, get the armies together. We're going to go chase down Sheba. And Amasa, in verse 5, went to assemble the men of Judah, but he delayed longer than the set time which David had appointed him. See, he didn't know what to do. Come on, he's no general. You just gave him that title. And so in three days, he's like, wow, I wonder how I do this. How do I gather an army? And it's time to go. They couldn't wait. David said to Abishai, Joab's brother, who was like his David's bodyguard, he said, now Sheba, the son of Bichri, will do us, do us more harm even than Absalom. We can't wait on this. We can't just dink around hoping that Amasa will somehow get things together. Every day we lose is another opportunity for us to lose. So take your Lord's servants and pursue him, lest he find he himself fortified cities and escape us. So he, tells, he doesn't tell Joab, he tells Abishai, you better go after this guy. But of course, Abishai gets his brother Joab and he goes, come on, we got a job to do. So you get the team back together and they're heading out. Now, this is, uh, becomes ugly. Joab's men with the Cherethites, the Pelethites, the, you know, the, the guys who were some of the soldiers, and, and he said, and all the mighty men. So these guys were archers and slingers, basically, is who these two guys, groups were. And all the mighty men went out after him after Sheba. And they went out of Jerusalem to pursue Sheba, the son of Bichri. And when they were at the large stone, which is in Gibeon, so they're like more than halfway there, Amasa shows up. Like he's still wearing his general costume and stuff. He doesn't know what he's doing. So Joab was dressed in battle armor. He was ready to do battle. And on his armor was a belt with a sword fastened in its sheath at his hips. And as he was going forward, it fell out. Wait, Joab, he accidentally dropped his sword? Might be a good idea for you to back up a little bit, but no, he doesn't do that. Joab says to Amasa, hey, are you in good health, my brother? He was a relative. And Joab took Amasa by the beard with his right hand like he was going to kiss him, but he came up with the sword and struck him with it in the stomach that Hebrew word for stomach there is a little lower than the stomach, but they try to make it polite. And his entrails poured out on the ground, and he did not strike him again. He only hit him once, <laughs> so he died. Then Joab and Abishai, his brother, began to chase Sheba, the son of Bichri. Meanwhile, all these men are following along, the army, and when they got near Amasa, he's laying there in the middle of the road, and they're like, oh... And they're saying, look, either follow Joab or sit here, you know, with the dying guy. But Amatha's like making a mess in the middle of the highway. And so they dragged him off the road and covered him up with a garment. And then everybody goes, yeah, I guess we're on Joab's side. After they got him out of the highway, everyone took off to chase Sheba. 
And so in verse 14, he went through all the tribes of Israel to Abel and Beth Maach and all the Barites. So he ends up going to this city called Abel. Abel was a city that was known as a peaceful place. People would go there to resolve their difficulties. There were some wise people there apparently and they were peaceful, they didn't jump into fights and so he thought that's a good place for me to hide out. So he went there and so they came in verse 15 and besieged him in Abel of Beth Maacah. And they cast up a siege around against the city and it stood by the rampart. So they built a ramp and they began to build some kind of a wall so that now this city is ready to be under attack. Nobody gets in, nobody goes out. And all the people who were with Joab battered the wall to throw it down. It's like they're going to take down this whole city in order to get this renegade fake king. But then one of the most fascinating people in the Bible, I should probably teach on this for Mother's Day, but... She was a wise woman. She was also a mom. The word there for wise woman, she was probably one of the leaders. She was probably like the mayor of the city. So she was very well respected, and she was there at the city. And she came out and said, she yelled out, please tell Joab to come here, and I want to speak with him. Like, she knew Joab was the guy. If you want to get anything done, you better talk to Joab. So she goes, send Joab. And Joab came, and she goes, are you Joab? And he said, I am. And then she said to him, hear the words of your maidservant. And he goes, I'm listening. Verse 18, so she spoke saying, they used to talk in former times saying, they shall surely seek guidance at Abel. And so they would end disputes. They go, remember the city Abel? They used to say, this is a place where you could come and work things out. This was a place where you, should nego- you could negotiate. And now what I want to do is negotiate. She said, I am among the peaceable and faithful in Israel. I'm a good Jew. I only want peace. It looks like you're trying to destroy a city and a mother in Israel. I love that. She's like, look, I'm just a mom, but I'm trying to fix this. I'm trying to help here. And so why would you swallow up the inheritance of the Lord? Why do you want to destroy all of this? And why do you want to destroy me, frankly? And Joab said, far be it from me that I should swallow up or destroy. I'm not trying to destroy you or your people or your city. He goes, that's not the way it is. But there's a man from the mountains of Ephraim, Sheba, the son of Bichri by name, has raised his hand against the king, against David. You claim to be loyal to Israel. This guy is going against David, our king. So he said, deliver him only. All, All I want is him. And I will depart from the city And so the woman said to Joab, I like this girl, watch, his head will be thrown to you over the wall. I was like, whoa. You know, she's a mom, she's a woman, but you don't mess with her either. And so she went back in, in her wisdom, gathered all the people together, and they go, look, this guy isn't worth it. So they cut off the head of Sheba, the son of Bichri, and threw it out to Joab. It's like like a field goal just coming across. (laughs) And so they're like, awesome. They blew a trumpet. They withdrew from the city, every man to his tent. So Joab returned to the king at Jerusalem. Another job fulfilled, another civil war averted, and one guy lost his head, that's all. And this woman becomes like my hero forever. So then the last three verses or, or so are interesting because 
it, it lists people and their jobs. <laughs> they had, Joab was over all the army of Israel. After that, nobody goes, I want to be general. They're like, no, 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 you're, you're the man. Um, Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, was over the Cherethites and the Pelethites, the slingers and, you know, the archers. And so Adoram was in charge of revenue. It's kind of weird that they're listing these people in this context, but I'll explain why I think they did. Adoram was in charge of basically the IRS. Jehoshaphat, the son of Ahilud, was recorder. So he was the guy that kept all the legal records. Shiva was scribe. He was like the secretary to David. When David wanted to do something or correspondence, he would write it. And Zadok and Abiathar were the priests. They were running the worship there at the tabernacle in Jerusalem. And then Ira, the gyrite, was a chief minister under David. Really, it means it says that he was a priest to David. David couldn't always go, you know, take cuts at the tabernacle whenever he needed something. So he had this guy like as his chaplain in a way. He was just there. He could pray with David. He could listen to him in confidence. And so... All of these people had jobs. And it's interesting that they're all listed here because when I look at this chapter, I go, everything in the Bible is here for us. Scriptures make that very clear. These are examples for us. So what do we learn from chapter 20 of 2 Samuel? And I mean, obviously there's a lot of letters in here. Like if a guy drops a sword in front of you, take a step back, <laughs> don't hug him. But really what I see it, overall in this chapter is something that's super important throughout scripture. And that is you need to make sure that everybody is in their place. Everyone knows where they belong, what their calling is, what their job is. And everyone will, will do better if each of us knows, here's my role, here's my responsibility, here's my calling. It's devastating for people who, in your life, you go, I don't even know who I am and, and what I'm supposed to do. Or I'm trying to be something that I'm not because somebody pushed me into it or because there was some, uh, you know, I had some obsession with it or, or I had the opportunity. Um, things only work when everyone kind of knows what their place is and they all do what it is that they're called to do. It, uh, same thing with everybody in this chapter. It becomes clear, like, okay, you have, on the one hand, there's a, a guy that wants to be king, Sheba. That wasn't his job. That was a bad idea for him to have the ambition to be king. Amasa, out of place. Maybe a good guy, not the sharpest guy, not the greatest sense of awareness of what was going on, certainly not suitable to be a general, to lead an army. So both of those guys got out of place, and it didn't work. Now, David is a guy who was totally in his place. God had anointed him and he was king. And even with all of his weakness and all of his problems, he was still the best guy to rule over Israel. Then you have Joab. Joab's a general. There's a lot of things that you wouldn't like about Joab. But it's pretty clear when it came down to it, you want somebody to lead you into a war. You want someone who is willing to put his life on the line over and over again, and he's good at it? That's Joab. This woman, you could do better. I mean, how could you do any better than to have a woman like this in a position of influence? She's smart, she's tough, she's a good communicator, she knows who to talk to. 
She was amazing. That city was so lucky to have her. And so, and then with this whole list of people at the end of the chapter, I think one reason why this list is here is because it's like, here are a bunch of people doing what they were called to do. Here are people who found their niche, who found their place, and they were fulfilling their calling. And when that happens and everything comes together, it's amazing. Now, every one of us, there are all kinds of potential positions that we could seek or pursue. You know, it's not like you just fall into it and there's only one thing. Sorry, you're either this or nothing. There are a ton of options for all of us. And yet going through life is partly the process of working your way through and finding out, okay, who did God really design me to be? What is it that is really my place? Now, as you're younger, you start, you know, you start imagining all sorts of different things, but eventually, if you just pay attention, the Spirit of God is working in your life, and you end up realizing that, wow, I see where I am today, and this is really who I am. I don't need to try to be somebody else. I, I've found my place. The Bible talks about spiritual gifts and the idea that everyone has a certain you know, capacity and, and certain abilities and everyone has gifts. And that, that way everyone is needed because everyone has a place. But finding out what your place is, finding out what your gifts are, it sometimes can be really stressful. But at the same time, if it doesn't happen, Nothing works the way it's supposed to work. Everything becomes disastrous. You can completely ruin your life trying to be somebody that you aren't. You can completely miss opportunities because you were trying to be somebody else instead of the person who would have been perfect for this position. You're listening to The Balanced Word with our pastor and teacher, Dave Rolfe. Today's message is part of our study in First and Second Samuel called Kingdom Building. Stay with us for more teaching from Pastor Dave in just a moment. These programs are available by podcast at thebalancedword.com. You can also call and request a CD copy at 949-362-7475. You might also want to request the entire Kingdom Building series, again at 949-362-7475. We'd also like to offer you Pastor Dave's Through the Bible in a Year series on a USB thumb drive for a gift of $25 or more. Go through the Bible in a year with Pastor Dave by ordering this special series today. Again, call 949-362-7475 or order online at thebalancedword.com. Your gifts help to make these shows possible on stations like this one all across the nation. Thank you for standing with us with either a one-time gift or ongoing monthly support. Donations can be made at thebalancedword.com. Have you had a chance to listen to Pastor Dave's one-minute messages? You can listen to those at thebalancedword.com and even join our mailing list so you can have them delivered to you each day. You can watch them on Instagram or Facebook too by following CC Pacific Hills. Pastor Dave would love to have you join us at Pacific Hills Calvary Chapel. Our service times on Sunday morning are at 8, 9.45 and 11.30. Directions and more information about the church can be found online at ccpacifichills.org. You can watch our live stream there too ccpacifichills.org. If we can pray for you in any way, we ask that you contact us through thebalancedword.com or by calling us at 949-362-7475. As we return to Pastor Dave, he cautions us to avoid the Peter principle. We all need to find our calling. Like, who am I really supposed to be? Who am I 
when I'm really in my groove, when I'm really where I'm supposed to be, who am I at that point? And to you know, do the best you can at that and to accept that and appreciate that. I, I hear people all the time who come to me and they're like, I just feel like I should be doing more than I am for God. You know, who's to say that what you're doing for God isn't exactly what he wants you to do? It's not about how can I get the best, most prominent, how can I make a difference to the most people? No, it's like you do what you're doing, there's a really good chance that you're already doing that. It's just a question of whether or not you feel like, wow, this is really who God has made me to be. That's how I ended up in this position. Now, a warning, there is something that in, they call the Peter principle in business. A guy named Peter made this up, but it, it's, a, it's a, an expression that says, you will always be promoted to your level of incompetency. That is, eventually, and you know this, you've seen people who are really good at their job, so then they become a manager. And then they're not quite as good at that, but they've been around a lot and people want to get rid of them, so then they make them the president or whatever. It's just like, <laughs> get rid of this guy. As much as possible, you want to avoid the Peter principle. That means because someone offers you a change, don't assume that that change is a positive one. We'll save the rest of this message, knowing your place, for the next Balanced Word with Pastor Dave Rolfe, a presentation of Pacific Hills Calvary Chapel and online at thebalancedword.com. Wake up my soul, wake up early in the day, wake up my hands, and the instrument I play.